First Timothy chapter four uh, from from the NIV. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the, the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. By the way, this is my favourite verse. Um, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Amen, Dan? I'm turning to page two, Dan. It's a long long scripture. (laughs) This is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. This is why we labour and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God. Thank you, James. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Okay. Uh, We're continuing on in our... Um, our series on 1 and 2 Timothy, where we're kind of taking a hop, skip and a jump through these two letters that Paul writes to his young mentee, Timothy. Um, Why don't I pray and then we'll jump straight into it. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us so clearly and so truthfully of who you are and who we are. Lord, I pray this morning that as we come before your word, uh, you might uh, open our hearts and our minds to its message and its meaning for us, to where we are at in our walk with you. Lord, whether we have been walking with you for a long time, whether, Lord, we are uh, new to the journey or perhaps we haven't even started. Lord, we pray that you might have a word that speaks to us where we are at. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity that we get to read your word, to learn from it, and to know it. And then we just pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Oh, there we go. Um, so last week we talked about um, this idea of this relationship between Paul and Timothy. And he writes these words as words of advice to Timothy. Um, 
in a relationship that is, you know, like, like father and son or mentor to apprentice. Um, one thing I've learned in life is that there's always people who are willing to give you advice. That doesn't always mean that it's good. You know, there's always plenty of advice available, but it doesn't always mean that that advice is particularly helpful. Um, I, I went to a website called badlifeadvice.com and I got some real life advice from people that perhaps wasn't so good. Like a rookie fireman who was advised by an older fireman to start smoking now because it'll help prepare your lungs for smoke inhalation. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's a, that is an interesting take. Um, someone who had their headphones wires all tangled up and their mum said to them, here, just have some detangler spray, you know, like for your hair, and see how that works. Perhaps not quite so good. Um, I heard someone talking about how you play the lotto, and his advice was just buy as many tickets as you can afford. That's foolproof. You keep buying tickets, you can't lose, am I right? Um, or, <laughs> there was one, hang on, I think I've got my, my pictures back. Let's see, have I, is it gonna work for me? Ah oh, yes, here we go, there's some detangler spray, there's some, oh, here we go. Uh, this one was, if you get annoyed by your car beeping at you when you don't have your seatbelt, buy this, uh, this product, problem solved. Clip it in and you can drive dangerously as long as you like. But Paul writes um, in this chapter, chapter four of 1 Timothy, he, he writes some really sage advice to a young guy who is um, in the process of trying to figure out his own walk with Jesus, but also to lead other people in their walk with Jesus. So he gives him some great advice on how to live the faith and how to lead in the faith. Um, we talked about this a bit last week, as I mentioned, this idea of this relationship between Timothy and Paul as kind of mentor and mentee. Um, but the question arises from Paul's perspective, if you're passing on words of advice to a, a younger person who's someone who you are trying to equip and to train up um, to continue on the work that he has so faithfully done his whole life. Like, what do you say? Right, there's lots of options, isn't there? What are the things which you can say? What are the things that you can share? The words that are going to put Timothy in good stead and thinking on that kind of broader perspective, the words that are going to help continue the work of the church that Paul has so faithfully worked towards? What are the things which he's going to um, impart on Timothy that are going to put him in good stead and the church in good stead for the generations to come? Well, let's uh, have a look at verses uh, 6 and uh, see what he says here. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished on the truths of the faith, and on the good teaching that you have followed. In the first part of the letter, Paul is referencing the, these false teachers that are in the community that he's writing to. And he kind of uses them as a contrast. Verses 1 to 5, he talks about how they're all doing the wrong things and they're going to get themselves in trouble. Um, but he sets this contrast between how they operate and how Timothy should operate. And one of the first lessons that he gives him is this. To be a good leader is to nourish your own faith. To feed your own faith on a healthy diet of truth and good teachings. I think that is some sage advice. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this show before, but I like watching this show, Crash Investigates. Have I ever mentioned this show before? Yeah. Only like repeated times? Um, you know, one of the things they do, or they talk about in the show, is that you know, if there's an emergency and the oxygen masks drop down, you know, like there's smoke in the cabin or there's 
or pressure loss or whatever it is. This is the, the advice, the, the training that they tell everyone is they're like, put on your mask first. Before you put on your kids' masks, before you help the old lady over there who's, who can't reach it, put on your mask first. Not that this is like a selfish thing, like look after yourself first, but the point is when you put on your mask first, you put yourself in the best position to help everyone else who needs help. It's not about being selfish. It's about putting yourself in the best position to help others who are in need. And this is a great little analogy for us when it comes to the faith. There is a helpful lesson here. Um, when it comes to us, particularly in we're thinking of being in roles of leadership or being a mentor to someone else or trying to share your faith with someone else, um, don't forget to feed yourself first. Don't forget to have a healthy diet, to be well nourished on truth and good teachings, as he says. Um, don't be spiritually malnourished and then expect that anyone would want to take food from you. You know, in my head, I have this picture of someone who's like gaunt and pale and looking really unhealthy and saying, hey, do you want to have some of what I'm eating? It's like, no, I don't because it clearly isn't working. And the, this is the, 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 the analogy that he's bringing up to Timothy. He's like, you need to have your spiritual life well fed. You can't be spiritually malnourished and then going to people and saying, hey, do you want some of what I got? Because they probably won't, because it won't be a very attractive offer. A helpful bit of advice for Timothy to make sure that your faith is is not malnourished, it is well-fed, it is healthy, it is life-giving, not life-sapping, that it is appealing to those around you. Uh, he goes on in verse 7, where he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promises for both present life and the future life to come. A great passage, this one. Maybe you've heard it before. A great little memory verse, a helpful thing to have. There's a lot in there. Um, Paul switches from the imagery of being nourished or malnourished. He switches from that uh, healthy diet to training, fitness. He uses this idea of physical fitness. But let me, I want to just stop at the, for a second at the very start in verse 7, where he talks about uh, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Lots of speculation as to what he's talking about. Like, you know, there's probably books written on what these speculations and um, these wives' tales and myths might have been. He mentions it earlier in the book too. In chapter 1, he talks about myths and endless genealogies. Um, not sure exactly what it is. It's not enough detail given. But it seems like there is some gossip. There is some chat there are some conspiracy theories, whatever you would like to call them, uh, that have got some spiritual backing and the people in Ephesus are getting a bit lost in it. It's a cause for distraction from what um, the central core message of the gospel is. So Paul's advice to Timothy is to stay away from these things because they are unhelpful. And as I was reading that, it kind of reminded me a little bit of of our present situation, where I think from time to time, particularly um, evangelical Christians can get lost 
in old wives' tales, myths, and the genealogies. Like we, we, uh, I've known a few people who have kind of gone down a particular rabbit hole. Perhaps uh, you know someone um, who's been in this situation. Um, and in the end, all it has done has kind of got them a bit lost in the muddy waters of whatever the conspiracy theory might be um, and, not, uh, and led them away from healthy faith practices. I can think of a couple of people for whom um, over the COVID period, as many of you know, for those who are kind of um, anxious or those who are, you know, particularly prone to getting interested in the conspiracy theories, got really lost. It got really lost down a particular rabbit hole in that time um, and uh, haven't come back to church since, partly because of how they feel about these issues and how people responded to them as they were evangelising them on all of these other conspiracy theories and whatever it might be. I don't want to spend much time here, but I want to make this point, is that we've got this biblical evidence here that actually warns us to stay away from the, the, the myths and the old wives' tales. Because, whether they're true or not, it's not the point, um, the point is, is that they're not helpful when it comes to the gospel core message that they muddy the waters in important areas and they lead people from the faith rather than to the faith more often than not. Um, but in contrast, Paul says to Timothy, um, don't get lost in these things. Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Um, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promises for both the present life and the life that is to come. Physical training is good, keeps the body fit, but it does have uh, like a limitation, doesn't it? It's got a really distinct time limitation. You know, you can be as fit as you've been in your life, but it won't last unless you stick at it constantly. Um, you get to a point in your life when all of that physical training you did in your youth is completely irrelevant. I'm, I'm kind of in that space right now, right? All of the, the training I did in my youth and the fitness that was back then, it doesn't seem to help me at all, that actually, anymore. Um, not in any way, shape or form. Um, and Paul says to Timothy, what you need to focus on is not the physical training, but the training in godliness, which will last forever. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, yeah, what would I say to 18-year-old me? What's one of the words of advice I'd give to young me, I would say, play less sport, like do less soccer, do more, um, do more music, do more Christian retreats, do more Christian camping. That's, that would be the advice I would give to younger me because the things that I would learn there would still have value for me today. Whereas the time and the energy I put into sport has come and has gone. Um, and has little to no value for me today. You know, it's kind of like this, like I'm realising this more and more now um, with my boys as they're getting older. Like I realise I'm in this particular window when I am more athletically dominant than the boys, right? Here's the graph, right? So this is, uh, there's, this, there's this period where, where, where my, my, my athletical prime is only, is only diminishing while theirs is increasing. So I'm in this, I'm in this window right now. I've got to like use every opportunity I get, you know, just to show them because... One day it won't be that case. But the other day I was racing Wes and I'm like, oh my gosh, this window might be shorter than I think. <laughs> I might need to start changing some of the data points on my graph, right? Because 
It's actually hard for me to beat him now, but anyway. Um, all of the training that you do, it comes and it goes, sometimes faster than you think. And Paul says, don't worry about the physical training. What are you going to train yourself in? Train yourself in godliness, because not only will the training that you put into godliness um, last your entire life, that it, in fact, will last into eternity. That seems like a pretty good return on your investment, isn't it? Training that you do now that will bear fruit in eternity. And we need to kind of pause on this idea for a little bit, this idea of training in godliness. Think about what it looks like. How do we go about doing this? How do we train ourselves in godliness? We spoke a little bit about that last week. Um, Simon talked about the idea of like apprenticing as a helpful idea. He spoke about the power of YouTube, right? I'm with you on that one. The power of YouTube. I remember distinctly the first time I was like in my car trying to like hotwire the radio to work. I was like, I can just search a video. And I sat there and watched a video in my car and it was mind-blowing experience, right? But I'm not talking about those kind of little things. Like I wanted to take a step back and go, how do we train ourselves for the big things? How do we train ourselves for the big important things in life? Because there are some big important things that we invest a lot of ourselves into, like our career, whatever our job might be. We invest a lot of time in it, don't we? In like educating ourselves and getting experience um, and learning new things and getting better at our craft, like a lot of time. Um, you know, parenting might be another good example. A lot of that's on the job training. But we spend time trying to get better at parenting and figuring out how do we do that? How do we become experts at these things, these big things, these lifelong things that we work at? I mean, I was thinking about that. I'm like, surely that should be our attitude when it comes to our faith. Because surely we don't want to just be like weekend dabblers in faith. Don't we want to be experts? Like, don't we want to be experts in the faith? People who've trained ourselves like our whole lives just to get better and better as we go. And I don't mean experts as in like, like we've been to Bible school for like 15 years. I mean experts as in someone who really knows what it means to follow Jesus. There's plenty of theologians that aren't that good at following Jesus, right? And there's plenty of people that couldn't tell you the first thing about theology, but are experts at following Jesus. How... Do we become experts at following Jesus? And I kind of wanted to break it down to these three, these three ideas that we educate, we immerse, and we practice. These are the ways that's not going to happen in a, you know, overnight. It's not going to happen in a week or a month or a year. It's this thing that actually you continue to work at your whole life to become experts at following Jesus. We educate, we immerse, we practice. Educate's an obvious one, isn't it? Um, we have to know a bit about the faith if we're going to be good at following in the faith. We have to go to the source. We have to read the word, right? Um, Paul tells um, Timothy just this. We have to listen to good teaching. Paul tells Timothy just this. We have to um, read the word for ourselves, not just hear other people's take on it. Um, we need to have our head around how we would explain the gospel not like explain it like i'm going to give someone a gospel presentation but that we might understand it for ourselves you know like can we actually put the words together to figure out and explain how we understand the gospel and we live in a a, a golden age of access to so much stuff to educate ourselves the problem isn't access the problem is time and committing to it hey like we have just got this endless amount of um you know sermons online and talks and books and um, 
endless, endless amount of things you could read um, or, or gain knowledge from. Um, you know, I, I, I am not a good reader of books, but I recognise that reading a good Christian book is a really helpful thing. It's a really good thing for, for your personal walk. That's part of this education and training yourself. Um, I'm not good at reading books, but what I can do is get an audiobook and listen to these books while I'm doing the washing and, you know, at the shops or walking the dogs. Uh, I can remember a number of books that I listened almost entirely just walking the dogs. Like when I'd, walk, when I'd start my walk for the dogs, I'd put this book on and, and I'd listen to a few books just doing that. If that's something that works for you, that's something for you to be, be intentional about thinking. What's a way that I can educate myself to train myself for godliness? Um, conferences are another great one, aren't they? Conferences are a great way for you to educate yourself a little bit more in the faith. You know, a colour conference or a propel or whatever it might be. Immerse ourselves. To really train ourselves in the faith, we need to immerse ourselves in Christian community. Um, if I was going to learn Spanish or something, um, I could, you know, do once a week Spanish lessons or I could move to a Spanish-speaking country and you know which one would work better. Hey, that, that one hour a week isn't going to get me far. I can probably count to 10, maybe to 20, right, by the end of it. Um, but if, if the Simpsons packed up and moved to Spain... The boys would be speaking Spanish like this. We'd be asking them constantly how to, how to answer questions and how to talk to people. Um, but we would get there eventually because the best way is to immerse yourself in these sorts of things. Um, immersing yourself in Christian culture is powerful. Immersing yourself in Christian culture is a powerful form of training in godliness and it will shape you and change you for the rest of your life. Um, I'm always banging on about Christian camps, like constantly, aren't I? I won't shut up about it. I keep talking about how good Christian camps are and there's no such thing as a bad camp and you should go to Christian camps and all this kind of stuff. And the reason I keep banging on about Christian camps is because this is this experience of really immersing yourself in Christian community and the fruit I have seen from it over the years. You just can't find it anywhere else. Setting aside a week or however long it is, and spending a bunch of time with a whole bunch of other either young people or, or if, you know, if it's, not, if it's a retreat for older people, for people your own, your own age, um, uh, in intentional Christian community, the amount of ministry done to your own soul in it in that week is like, a, you know, a year of Sundays, two years of Sundays. Like it's, it's a powerful thing. When the boys are old enough, I'm going to send them on every camp I can get them on. I'm going to send them on Kedron. I'm going to send them on Solsvater. I'm going to send them on the local Christian school, whatever camp thing. Like, I'll send them on everything because there is something really powerful about immersing yourself in Christian culture. Keep that in your mind. Is there a way that you put aside time to immerse yourself in Christian culture? Um... Sometimes what we end up doing, instead of filling our minds with the things which we know are helpful and godly and are going to put us in the right spot, we fill our minds with things that are unhelpful. They're just like just the, the bits and pieces of life, you know, like the amount of sports statistics I could recite to you or like, you know, you know every plot line from the first six seasons of Downton Abbey, you know, these sorts of things. Like we fill our minds with these sorts of unhelpful things. Um, but, of course, uh, what Paul says to Timothy is that the training that will bear fruit is training in godliness. And let me jump to that last idea. 
of practice. Christianity, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, it's not just a thought exercise. It's something that we do in real life. If I was to learn Spanish and then never ever spoke to anyone in Spanish, well then my, tra my training is lacking. I'm kind of missing that final important ingredient in what I was doing. If you learn a musical instrument, but they never actually play it with anyone else or in front of anyone else, well then that final goal kind of isn't being met. The point of training in faith and godliness is to put into actions the things that you have learnt, the skills that you have gained. If you go, yeah, I'm going to train for the city to surf. I'm going to do the runs every night. I'm going to get the shoes. I'm going to get the clothes. I'm going to do all of the practices. And then race day comes and you're like, ah, nah. I'll just watch it on TV. Like, what was it for? Like, what are you doing? It's not the point of the training to put it into practice. If you, like, read a book on prayer, um, but then never pray, like, what, what are you doing? Like, you, you've missed the kind of the important part of reading the book. If you immerse yourself in Christian community and you really have this connection with the presence of God and you feel like you can hear um, God's leading and guiding for you in your life, but then you don't do what he says, what are we doing? If I train myself to, to lead um, in, in worship music, but then I never play in front of my church family, you know, put into practice the things that you have learned and trained yourself for. Um, this is a really important and helpful thing for us to remember, that the final part of that training is to put into practice the things that you've learned. Um, lastly, let me just jump through this uh, last little section because there's some really helpful things in it. Um, Paul is kind of wrapping up this letter that he's writing to Timothy. And in, in this part of this letter, this is kind of the most um, personal that he has spoken. Like he's speaking directly to Timothy here. He's not speaking to the broader church as much, or he's not talking about theology. He's speaking advice directly to Timothy. He says, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and impurity. Don't let your age be a factor. I reckon you could replace the word age with a whole bunch of different words for things that we shouldn't let become a factor in being an example to others in love and faith and purity. You're like, don't, don't let uh, your education be a factor. Don't let your, your charisma or lack thereof be a factor. Don't let your confidence be a factor. Don't let your past be a factor. Don't let these external things be a factor in you setting an example in love and faith and purity to the people around you. Verse 13, he goes on. Um, Until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching and to teaching. That's good stuff. We're doing that right now. Tick. Verse 14. Do not neglect your gifts, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Don't forget the gifts you're given, he says to Timothy. Don't forget the gifts that people have seen in you and have named in you. Don't let them unused on the shelves. It's like those decluttering um, shows when it's like, we're going to just put this in a box and if I come back in six months' time and it's still in that box, and you haven't used it. You don't need it. You, know, you use the things that you're given because that's the point of them being given. Don't, you, don't um, neglect the gifts that they may fail, fade away. Let me finish with this. Um, the, uh, the final challenge from this is obvious. 
Uh, how's your spiritual fitness? How's your spiritual fitness? How's your training in godliness going? And I think what would be a helpful thing uh, to go away this week, and I want you to think critically about your own training. What is something that you could do? Mightn't be this month or this year, but what's something you can do that will actually help train you in godliness?